This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture and Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Good afternoon and welcome into a brand new edition of the BearCast, this Valentine's Day edition here on Sikkim365.com, also on YouTube, 365 Sports, Baylor Bears on Sikkim365 as well. And if you haven't already, please go to the Baylor channel via Sikkim365 or Baylor Bears on Sikkim365, the YouTube channel. And if you haven't already, please uh, hit the like button and subscribe if you would as we continue to grow that page in addition to 365 sports and all the other things that we have going on but if you could be so kind on this valentine's day to show a little love if you hadn't already in that way then it would certainly be appreciated and uh, i don't make it a practice to ask all that often for things like that but uh, it's been a little while so do appreciate all of you that are tuning in live those of you listening taped as well craig smoke with you joined as always by grace and grunhafer and uh, Grayson, I'll spare you the happy Valentine's Day, but uh, been a busy week, man. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it's definitely been busy. I uh, I had a little vacation this weekend, which was nice, but still got some news. Got some news as far as a commitment goes, so got to kind of keep tabs on that and post an article about that as well, which I know we're going to talk about later today. But yeah, it's been a good a good week overall. Lots of excitement on the basketball side of things, which has been fun to follow and uh, a new baseball season getting ready to start up as well. Yes, uh, Baylor men's basketball. I guess we can start there uh, now in first place in the Big 12 after their win last night over West Virginia. 2-0 against the Mountaineers. Jalen Bridges gets his you know, a little measure of revenge uh, with wins in Morgantown, his old stomping grounds, and uh, now in his new digs in Waco as well. So 2-0 and against Bob Huggins and company. And as a result of, uh, you know, Texas Tech uh, helping out, giving a little aid by knocking down, um, you know, the Longhorns. And obviously, you, you look around the rest of the league, and it's been a, a very tight race, but... Uh, despite this 0-3 start that Baylor found themselves in, they've been on an absolute tear over these last few weeks. They've gotten a little help like Texas Tech winning last night. And, man, you all of a sudden look up, and here they are, and they are in first place in the conference uh, with just, you know, a few games now here remaining. And, uh, Grayson, it's still going to be a tight race, but at 9-4, and it's the Bears, it's the Longhorns. You've got Kansas at 8-4 and now. Uh, you've got K-State who started to sort of fade uh, here down the second half as, um, you know, they got off to such a red-hot start, and Jerome Tang was the flavor of the month, and uh, now it's kind of cooled off a little bit, but uh, K-State, Iowa State, Oak State, TCU, West Virginia, here's Texas Tech now 3-10, and 10, who's won a couple here and, uh, you know, feeling a little bit better about their state of things, and then Oklahoma with Porter Moser dragging up the rear, and, I mean, that is what it is at this point, but... Uh, I don't know how many people are like shocked by this, but given the 0-3 start, I think there's a lot of surprise. And uh, obviously, if you're on the Baylor side of things, a lot of excitement about where the program finds itself right now. Yeah, I think anytime you win 10 of your last 11, you're, you know, you're kind of achieving something great, especially in this conference. And so I don't think anyone expected them to win 10 of their next 11 after starting 0-3, but I will say... Um, I think that everyone expected them to turn it around, right, and play a much higher level of basketball. Now, the other part of it is you change one or two possessions in the TCU and Kansas State games. I mean, th this team could be kind of cruising uh, to an outright Big 12 title. Uh, or out of it entirely. Well, yeah, I mean, if a yeah. couple things go differently in some other games, but those two games I just kind of circle because they were so early in the conference slate and they were such close games. Um, but you're right, kind of looking ahead, uh, thank you to Davion Harmon, who had a massive game against Texas uh, last night, really allowed them to uh, win that game, especially with his huge first half. Um, and they also beat Kansas State this week. Um, so two huge wins for them, and they really helped Baylor out because, like you said, now K-State is a game, uh, game and a half, actually, out of first place. 
And Baylor's sitting there at 9-4, and four, tied with Texas. Uh, they still get to play Texas in Waco uh, coming up shortly. Um, but the bigger thing for Baylor is they got road trips to Kansas and Kansas State uh, coming up here in the next, uh, what, week? Um, so they're really going to have to continue to trend in the right direction. And who knows, if they win those two, I think they're going to be setting themselves up very nicely to win an outright conference championship. Yeah, I mean, that'll be easier said than done. That will be uh, a tough task, uh, getting this little sunflower sweep that they'd like to get coming up here uh, over the next few days. But uh, let's just take a look back. I mean, you mentioned if you tweak a couple things here and there, you know, they could find themselves in a different place. Uh, it is, uh, it's been a phenomenal run, uh, winning 10 out of their last 11. You started off with the 15-point loss on the road in Ames, Iowa, uh, you turn around, one-point loss, brutal loss at home to TCU. Uh, and then the two-point loss, another brutal loss to Jerome Tang uh, and Kansas State that was at home. And, and there you were at 0-3. And since then, you've reeled off uh, a win at Morgantown that got the ball rolling. Uh, you destroyed Oklahoma State at home. Uh, you beat Tech on the road in Lubbock by seven. Uh, you edged out Oklahoma in Norman. Beat Kansas uh, at home. Top 10 win there. Won your SEC challenge by the skin of your teeth against Arkansas in what was just an ugly game, but it was a win nonetheless. And obviously that was the crossover SEC challenge. I mean, but that right there, six wins after that 0-3 start. Five of those in the Big 12. You lost to Texas. That was disappointing uh, down in Austin, but top 10 team there. And since that loss to UT, a 27-point win over Texas Tech just destroyed them in that one. 10-point win over Oklahoma at home. And uh, this past week, uh, on the road, you knew TCU would be tough, although, you know, Mike Miles has been banged up, not their only injury by any means, but, you know, TCU has been struggling with the health here uh, as of late, and uh, you get the four-point win on the road in Fort Worth. Uh, let's start there. Your thoughts on the, the win over TCU? Yeah, they survived that game, and that was a game that was particularly ugly just because of how easy things looked for TCU at times on the offensive side. The fact that they just... I, it was kind of one of those baffling things because it didn't feel like TCU could really make many jump shots at all. But the fact of the matter is they didn't need to. They had so many points in the paint. They just dominated Baylor in the paint. It felt like there was just kind of no answer for it. And that was that was a huge problem in that game. Thank the Lord for LJ Cryer and then, of course, Adam Flagler, especially in the second half, mm -hmm. uh, for essentially saving Baylor in that game. And in my eyes saving their opportunity to still win an outright conference championship. Um, so for them to go on the road there, uh, come back late, they were down by nine late in that game, um, but their two best shooters got really hot, played really well, propelled them, um, and they survived. And that was not that was a game that I felt like they had to win. We kind of talked about this last week, how that Tech, Oklahoma, TCU, West Virginia stretch they really needed to find a way to win all four of those. All four were very winnable, and Baylor did that. And I know we're only talking about the TCU game right now exclusively, but um, they survived that one. And that's really the only game they've had to survive in their last four. Yeah, Adam Flagler, uh, LJ Cryer, as you mentioned, others uh, certainly came up big at points as well. They had a couple injury scares this past week um, where it turned out to be like cramps or just not something as serious, but you got scared about Cryer there. Uh, then Bridges, you know, last night, you're like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Uh, thankfully, he was uh, okay in the long run. But uh, Flagler and Cryer, man, I mean, they've been something else at various points. And uh, those four, those two coming up with the four-player of the week honors so far this season for the Bears. Uh, Flagler doing it back in mid-November. Uh, the following week, LJ Cryer was your player of the week. And then here, uh, twice in the last uh, three weeks or so, uh, Cryer was your your player of the week for a second time uh, at the end of January. And here, um, just yesterday, Adam Flagler gets his second nod as the player of the week. Um, and Flagler, uh, I don't think anybody blinked an eye if you were paying attention to his performances over these these past couple of games and, and what garnered him the honor for, for this particular week. He's been... Uh, sensational. Uh, just been uh, fantastic, so well-deserved honor there. I think he's put himself in probably second place for Big 12 Player of the Year. Yeah, very well. Could. I think the only one yeah. that's played better is Jalen Wilson at Kansas. And I know, you know, some people might talk about Marquise Noel or, um, you know, Keontae Johnson there at K-State, but I don't think either of them have quite 
played to the level of those two guys, especially down the stretch. K-State's struggling a little bit, whereas the other two are kind of rising. But, yeah, that's a credit to Flagler because I think there were stretches, especially early in the season, where people really doubted his ability as a point guard and really doubted kind of the way that he was playing um, at times. And I think we're just continuing to see him grow, develop, get better and better, even more confident with his jump shot, more confident with the things that he can do on the basketball court. And it's really helping this Baylor team. And then obviously, you know, you add in the fact that LJ Cryer is just on fire right Mm now. Um, They have a just this backcourt has been extremely deadly and potent. You got Langston Love starting to play really good basketball. And now, Really, the only thing they're waiting for is Keontae George to get on a hot streak again because he's been kind of cold uh, shooting the ball in recent weeks, even though he had a nice bounce-back game this uh, yesterday, I guess, as far as filling out the box score. Yeah, I mean, having everyday John back uh, has mm-hmm. been huge for them as well as he's sure. getting reacclimated. And I guess the most difficult part uh, surrounding him is just people learning how to pronounce his name correctly. Uh, that has been the biggest battle. But uh, outside of that, it's been, uh, you know, Incredible to have him uh, in the lineup and, and what all that provides for them uh, as they are really uh, in, a, in a good place. I mean, uh, as you mentioned, L.J. Cryer last night, uh, let's talk about the win over West Virginia because, you know, we could be talking about maybe him setting himself up for a third player of the week honor. Uh, but 26 points last night versus the Mountaineers in 35 minutes of action, 8 of 11 from 3 uh, for Cryer um, as he was just sizzling. Uh, but he led the team uh, in scoring there. Also, uh, big from behind the arc, uh, Bridges and George and Flagler uh, all dumped in some shots from uh, three as well. But uh, Bridges with 12, Flagler with 13. Uh, you had uh, Everyday John uh, putting up double digits as well. And uh, just a nice team effort. But uh, the sweep of the Mountaineers, what were your thoughts on uh, what wasn't like the biggest game, you know, as far as they played ranked teams and all of that. And West Virginia's just kind of been there, I mean, quite honestly, uh, but still a tough team. Any team you line up against in the Big 12, we know the deal. Uh, it's not, you know, something that you take uh, for granted, whoever you're lining up across. So uh, to, you know, have them come in, not with the sexiest record in the world, kind of struggling. Maybe you could have an off night or you just slip up, but it was at home. It was big to, to get this one behind you and get yourself ready for these these challenges against the Kansas schools coming up here. Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway, honestly, was what I saw from Everyday John. And I know we can talk about some of the other things, like LJ Cryer continues to shoot the ball well. We mentioned that yeah. a little bit earlier, and this is who he is. He's a great shooter, one of the best shooters Baylor's ever had. I, I really believe that. Um and, you know, Flagler doing his thing. Six assists, only one turnover. That's great to see. Uh, Jalen Bridges, 12 points against his former team. He played hard, played well. Uh, but everyday John, simple fact of the matter is, he is making shots that we have not seen him make consistently in his career on the offensive side. We know who he is defensively. We know he's going to give all this effort and consistency on the defense and rebounding. We know all that. But when he's shooting the three-point shot fairly consistently, which he has since he's come back, and then we saw in this game, he was hitting turnaround jump shots in the paint. If he's doing that, they're going to be really, really tough to stop when it comes to March and the tournament and, you know, trying to make a Final Four because those type of shots that he was making are shots that I haven't seen a Baylor Post make in a while, I'm trying to think of the last post where I felt confident that, you know, a guy shooting a turnaround jump shot or getting a bucket in the paint. And the last one that I'm kind of thinking of really is Jonathan Motley. And I know Tristan Clark is yeah. probably in that conversation as well when he was healthy. Um, but this was really impressive. He only played 24 minutes, had 11 points. But again, it was more the shot making and the, the ways that they could feed him in which he could score through the offense and really allow them to establish themselves in the paint. Very impressed. Give Terry Maston a shout, though. TJ yeah, Maston. Yeah, Terry, Terry, that's true. Terry just couldn't stay on the court because he couldn't yeah. guard anybody. But yes, you're right. Shot making wise, Terry shooting threes for sure. Yeah, he's in that. He's in there as well. And that was Jack McKenzie uh, joining us. Sorry I didn't introduce you at the beginning, Jack, but. Uh, uh, he'll he'll punish me later for that, yeah. I'm sure, yeah, yeah. behind the scenes. It, it is impressive, though, the fact, you know, because 
back then with Terry even, Baylor was still featuring their big guys, you know, feeding them and, and really running the offense through them. I think this is cool because they didn't really run the offense through every day, John. It just was more so when John found his spot, he took advantage. And so, again, really cool to see something that I, I guess I wasn't really expecting to see this year, him coming back from injury. But play 24 minutes, you can tell he's starting to get into more of a rhythm. And as he gets you know more comfortable, more healthy, I think the, that's going to raise this ceiling for this team, uh, absolutely. But outside of that, you know, Keontae George continued to kind of struggle a little bit scoring the basketball uh, and the turnovers. He had four turnovers. But on the flip side, nine rebounds, seven assists, four steals. He did a lot of the dirty work, um, which was really fun to see and, and something that I think is going to be worth paying attention to going forward because when he is having an off night, they really need him to stay connected and stay involved. And I felt like he did a great job of that last night against West Virginia. So the Bears take care of business. Uh, they are now 9-4 and four overall in conference play, 20-6 and six now on the year. And gosh, I wish I would have held on to it. I saw a crazy stat earlier about their 20 wins, and um, I don't know if it was like a David Case stat or if it was uh, somebody else that uh, had a mark, but... You know, you sit back, and I know everybody's appreciating, like, what's going on right now with uh, with the program, but it is ridiculous just the stretch run that they're on now. I mean, to, to hit the 20-win mark again is not something that you take for granted. Um, to have the amount of talent rolling through uh, that they have is uh, pretty incredible. You know, they just keep building on, like, their, their NBA transitions, and George will certainly be, you know, one of the headliners uh, here coming up pretty soon. Um, and, and others as well as they just keep reloading with talent. But, yeah, I mean, to look up and find themselves in, in first place, uh, but with a, you know, very tough week coming up. So let's not, you know, celebrate or anything like that just yet. But it's just remarkable uh, what, what Scott Drew's built up and, and where he has this program clicking right now, uh, which is on all cylinders. And, and then you look off the court as well. Um, you know, they acknowledged Flo Thamba, most wins in program history. Thought that that was uh, that's awesome. pretty cool <laughs> mark as well. And then, you know, off the court, uh, another, uh, you know, record of note. But uh, Everyday John uh, tweeting after the game last night, a Big 12 win plus getting accepted into Baylor's Master of Public Health program with a full scholarship equals great day. Awesome. Um, so very cool accomplishment for uh, Everyday John and uh, just big time, I'm sure that was, you know, something that was, was celebrated along with the win last night uh, and, and will be celebrated. But uh, congrats to him on uh, that, you know, achievement and uh, congrats to the team on, you know, a couple of big wins and this run that they've been on ever since that 0-3 start that has them in this position. So uh, coming up, obviously a, a huge stretch here with, uh, as you mentioned, the Kansas schools. And that will be first things first, uh, a road trip. Uh, to Lawrence to face number five Kansas uh, coming up here at the end of the week. And then it'll be the, you know, Sunflower two-step at Kansas State. Uh, so two top 10-ish teams, I guess, Kansas five right now, K-State number 12 right now. So huge week uh, for this Baylor men's team. Yeah, and I mean, so the Kansas game is on Saturday. So yeah, we're not so a huge get week to, from here, yeah. Right, so we're not going to get to kind of talk about that game again until it's completed. I think the K-State game's on Tuesday, so we'll get to preview that a little yeah. bit. But this Kansas game is a big one. Um, and I know the expectation going into Allen Fieldhouse is just to compete, right? Because most teams don't go in there and beat Kansas. That That's really, really tough. Baylor's only done that, what, one time in, that I can remember? Um, which was their national championship season. Yeah, I think so. Um, so, yeah, it's just one of those kind of interesting opportunities for Baylor um, and one that I think they can take advantage of. But on the flip side, Kansas is playing really good basketball right now. Uh, Kansas went to Kentucky, won. They beat Kansas State convincingly. They lost at Iowa State, which tends to happen to a lot of teams, including Baylor. And then they beat Texas and crushed Oklahoma uh, last week. So I think both these teams are trending in a great direction. And I, I, there's some things Kansas can do that I think can really give Baylor problems with Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick. But on the flip side, I think Baylor's guards can really give Kansas problems as well. I'm excited. I think it's one of the biggest games of the college basketball season. I think both those teams are good enough to be one seeds. I don't think both will, but I think they're both good enough to be at that level. And both are also final four contenders in my eyes. So I'm very intrigued by that matchup uh, coming up. And 
Uh, I expect Baylor to win one of these games, the Kansas and Kansas State game. And I'm kind of leaning towards the Kansas State game. Uh, for some reason, I think that, you know, that Allen Fieldhouse magic might give them some problems. Um, and it might end the run, which is totally okay because they can still win the conference even without winning that game. Yeah, it'll be Kansas on Saturday on the road. That's one that, yeah, I don't have high hopes just based on the circumstances uh, for them to win that one. I feel much better about them getting a win against K-State, who, like I said, is starting to come, to come down from their – early season high where it was like they could do no wrong they were winning every close game like um and and now it, it's it's funny man they lose like a couple games and like the whole fan base is just like waffling all of a sudden you know like where it was is like tang fever tang mania mm -hmm. all that and then it's like they lose a couple games it's like i don't know man you know it's yeah. just uh the bubbles kind of had some air let out it hadn't burst but it's had some air let out but yeah kansas closes out the week k-state to start next week then home against Texas. Uh, so next week will be massive. And really from here on out, all games are huge. And then at Oklahoma State, who's played much better basketball. And then it'll be Iowa State, who's also started to kind of slow a little bit from their early season high. Uh, but still top 20, and, and who knows where they'll be here in a couple of weeks. But that's all that remains as far as the regular season goes. So five games to go. Tied for first place with the Jayhawks. You play them this weekend, so there will be some separation there. So fun times, stressful times, but this is what you sign up for with Big 12 basketball. Yeah, and two notes on my mind, I guess, at this moment. I think 13-5 and five gets you an outright conference championship. I think 12-6 and six gets you a share. So if you're sitting at home, that's kind of what I'm – that's what I'm gauging now. Obviously, someone could play above that and and you know do even better than that, uh, maybe. Um, but I think 12 and six will get you a share of the Big 12 championship this season. And then also a quick note: um, it I I was thinking this as I was saying this. The year they won the national championship, they went and played Kansas kind of after a COVID break, um, or they were losing guys. You remember that? And they went to Kansas, lost that game, and still won the championship. It was actually the year before. Uh, that Baylor went there and won in Lawrence. So, quick correction there. What, 2020? 2019, 2020. 2020. When the tournament got uh, canceled, I believe. That's that's right, right? I think so, yeah. That's the year it got canceled. I, really, life since that period of time is all, like, very foggy as far yeah, as, like, I times know, right? and dates. And, uh, I mean, it really is, like, a you know, a before and after kind of thing with, with the COVID deal. Um, yep. my, my memory since then is not quite what it was before. But, yeah, as far as the – Lineup, I think that's that's right. Yeah. Um, so uh, to go and uh, get a second win there would obviously be huge, and uh, that's what they'll be looking to do uh, here coming up this weekend. Um, but yeah, I just had that in front of me as well. Um, let's see here. The the win in Lawrence, I had that a second ago, and I think that was 2020. Is that what you yeah, said? 2019, 2020. Yeah. yeah, I think that's when exactly that was. But, yeah, should be a lot of fun. 67-55 win on January 11th of 2020. That was the the big win in Lawrence, Kansas. So They played so well in that game. I remember it vividly. It was on CBS at noon. It was that kind of primetime spot on a Saturday, I think. Great game, and that was Jared Butler. That was kind of when they really got on the map for oh. Oh, dang, Baylor's really, really good. Um, yeah, but. since then, uh, lost by 13, and then lost by, uh, what was that, 20, 24, I guess it was, uh, last year uh, against Kansas. And the 13-point uh, loss was the national championship year, right? Yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure, and that was the year where they went into it just with all kinds of COVID problems and, like, had had a time off and then had to go play in Lawrence. Bad timing. Um, mm -hmm. But, hey, Baylor won the national championship, so can't complain. No, uh, can't complain about much right there. So that's what they've got in front of them uh, coming up this week. And, uh, like I said, it should be a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, Big 12 men's basketball uh, will be just lights out when tournament time comes, and uh, that'll be, you know, the bang will be worth the, the bucks uh, spent uh, for tournament passes or whoever goes up to Kansas City to check that out. I can't imagine there's a better tournament um, to go and check out if you're a Hoops fan than the Big 12 men's tournament. And on the women's side of things, um, it's been a struggle, man. They had a really ugly week last week. I mean, uh, it was it was not good. Uh, had an opportunity against Oklahoma uh, to, to beat the Sooners and to – had a little bit of a win streak going and to carve into, you know, the standings and instead just choke it away. I mean, I, I don't know how else to really – I don't want to dress it up too much, but that's basically what they did. It could not close out the Sooners 
uh, there at the end. And uh, that was a really tough loss. And you wondered how much that would, would possibly stick with them. And uh, Nikki Collin, you know, made no bones about the fact that that was, you know, some emotional baggage that they brought with them, um, you know, following that game. And you saw them, you know, head into the weekend and uh, have an opportunity to, to kind of stick around and, you know, bounce back and show that that was just a, you know, a bad ending and not so much an indictment on sort of the direction that they're going. But unfortunately, uh, they followed that up, not just with a loss, but a 21-point loss on the road to Oklahoma State. So what looked like it was going to be a big top 15, top 20 win against the Sooners and then, you know, whatever you do against the Cowgirls, um, you know, whatever you do, we could have, you know, talked about it from that angle. But instead, it turns into a bad loss to a top 15, 20 Sooner squad, and then a blowout loss to Oklahoma State. So two uh, in a row, and now Kansas State coming up this weekend in Manhattan, and then Iowa State coming up on Saturday at the Farrell Center. Uh, but 16-8 and eight overall, now 7-5 and five in conference play. And uh, what do you make of this Baylor women's team right now? Yeah, really unfortunate week, and kind of the biggest issue is you really need to win one of those. It didn't, it didn't really matter which one, but you needed to win one of those games to really feel like you still had a shot to win the conference because now Texas is 11-3. and three. Yep. You're a full three games out you're probably not going to catch them. You're pretty done, yeah. Yeah, you're pretty done when it comes to winning the Big 12. Now, on the flip side, this is the reason why I say you wanted to win one of those because here's what they got coming up. In three of their next four, they play the three worst teams in the Big 12, including 0-13 TCU. They're going to win that game. They have 4-8 Tech and 3-9 Kansas State. Uh, Also on the docket, you have an Iowa State team that's been reeling a little bit, not playing their best basketball, and you just beat them on the road Uh, last week or a week and a half ago so you really have this opportunity to potentially win you know five of your next six or four in a row here during this stretch and really give yourself a chance heading into that game in Austin against Texas Um, but now it kind of feels like even if you went out you I mean then then you have a chance right then you have a chance but I I still find that to be highly uh, unlikely but I will say there's an opportunity here to at least win three of your next four and maybe finish winning four of your last six, which would be a great place to finish. But they just need to, like we've talked about, start playing their best basketball at some point. They need to have more consistency because at times it feels like, hey, a nice winning streak, then a bad loss or two, then a nice winning streak, then a bad loss or two. Um, Can they really put a couple wins together and start playing really good basketball here in the next few weeks leading into March? That's probably to be determined. Um, But I do think there's a lot on the line here as far as it comes to seeding and potential to, you know, make a run in the Big 12 tournament or the NCAA tournament uh, as well. But there's a lot of games left, a lot of winnable games left on the docket uh, for this uh, women's basketball team. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Dariana Little-Page-Bugs has been a bright spot. She uh, got... um you know, honored again by the Big 12 this week. I think that's like a month straight of her being honored as, you know, was it uh, freshman of the of the week? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, yeah, there's there's some bright spots. But, man, that was a really bad week. <laughs> like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That was a really bad couple of losses they took. And, and that Oklahoma game was there and and ripe for the, the picking and uh, just let it slip through their fingers. And then, again, turned around and got beat up pretty good by the Cowgirls. So we will see how... Uh, emotionally, physically, mentally, they respond uh, to those losses. But, again, Kansas State coming up on Wednesday, Iowa State on Saturday. Uh, First things first, a trip to Manhattan before the Cyclones at home. Then they have TCU on the road. Uh, They've got Texas Tech at home, Texas on the road, and then West Virginia at home. So that's what awaits uh, the Baylor women's team uh, here over these last three weeks of the regular season. And, you know, we'll see where it all shakes out in the end. But as you mentioned, Texas kind of coasting at this point um, as uh, they did lose their most recent game. uh, Excuse me. uh, Yeah, did lose their most recent game. Oklahoma's been pretty hot. So Mm -hmm. uh, Oklahoma State's been pretty hot. So at least with the two teams you lost to, they have been teams that are on a little bit of streaks right now. But, uh, yeah, Texas and Oklahoma, that's pretty much the, the two-team race. You need both of them to kind of slip a couple times, and everybody else to basically win out, which would be Iowa State, Baylor, uh, Oklahoma State, that are all there a couple games back. But right now it's the Longhorns and it's the Sooners uh, at the top of the standing. So 
Uh, we'll see. But, yeah, didn't help your your efforts with the uh, the efforts uh, last week. But that is impressive, though. Dariana Littlepage Bug, she's been uh, good for them, and that is a young player. Um, and they've got, you know, more than her alone. But uh, she has been somebody that's consistently week in and week out being mentioned in, in the honors. And so that's something to uh, to build off of. So that's where they are at the moment. Uh, meanwhile, and I do have some football stuff I want to get to, but I kind of just want to close with all of that instead of kind of stopping starting with it. So before we dive fully into some of the football notes, including a brand new commit, including some combine invites, uh, you wanted to touch on baseball and, uh, you know, obviously Mitch Thompson uh, back as uh, a member of the program, and not just as a member of the program, but this time as the head coach after you know, a successful stint as an assistant, then obviously left, built a you know pretty uh, I don't a powerhouse yeah. really at uh, McLennan, mm-hmm. uh, just down the road, and uh, really enjoyed talking to him when he was the the manager out there and, and following along with their success. But then obviously uh, Bears decided to make a change. Move on from Steve Rodriguez. Here comes Mitch Thompson. There's a lot of excitement that he's back in green and gold and that, um, you know, they're going to just kind of have a little bit more buzz uh, with this this baseball program, uh, but not very high expectations. And I saw his interview that he did, I guess, on Media Day or whatever it was, one of his first interviews uh, for the, you know, season kickoff. And they got a chip on their shoulder being picked ninth, but he's, you know, understanding, but it is like a little bee in his bonnet. Yeah, he made no bones about that. Uh, we've had, you know, good write-up on the site from Levi. Uh, Caraway had a, a good piece on uh, Mitch Thompson and Baylor baseball. So your thoughts on, um, you know, the squad as they get ready to get this journey with uh, their brand-new manager underway. Yeah, and Levi also posted a season preview um, on the website as well, so be sure to check that out on Sikkim 365 Premium side. But, yeah, uh, Baylor's picked ninth by D1 Baseball. I don't think that that's unfair. They have a lot of transfers coming in, so I understand why uh, they're picked there. Um, And it kind of makes sense. Now, that doesn't mean that Baylor's going to finish ninth. matter of fact, I think, Kind of the more that I look at it, I still think Baylor can find a way to go, you know, something like 10 and 14 in league play, which might not be great. But I think in year one, um, that's kind of my more realistic prediction. I think it's something like 10 and 14, which would put you probably at like seventh in the Big 12, um, maybe higher than that, depending on how things shake up. But yeah, I mean, first year is going to be really one of those interesting times. Baylor needed a change, the baseball program. I think needed a, a move in a new direction as Steve Rodriguez really, really struggled uh, in um, you know postseason play and struggled as of recent years uh, to kind of put it all together. So I'm glad they made the change, but things are going to start off you know with a bang because they're playing a Central Michigan team uh, that hasn't won less than 42 games since 2018. Um, so really good program uh, coming to Waco. Uh, Central Michigan went 43-19 and last year. They lost to Florida twice in the Gainesville Regional. That's how their season ended a year ago. Uh, So Baylor's going to get tested uh, in their first uh, series this weekend, and I'm very excited to see how they kind of come out and respond, how the pitching rotation shapes up, and also just with all these transfers, just how they all kind of mesh and come together in year one um, and to see if they just are more productive and better than they have been, you know, especially last year where they struggled so mightily. Yeah, I mean, Steve Rodriguez did some good things, but by the end of it, it felt like, yeah, they probably needed to just take a little bit of a break. They got really screwed over by COVID, yep. uh, as we, for some reason, mentioned that a couple of times uh, in, in today's episode. But, I mean, yeah, you do have to acknowledge that they're towards the tail end of his tenure. Uh, he's now on the staff at Texas. And, um, yeah, Mitch Thompson's brought back some familiar faces, some, you know, some names that if you followed the program, you should be familiar with. And he's also, you know, been on a little bit of a, you know, welcome tour or season kickoff tour and, you know, run into a lot of old faces on those as well as you see some of the pictures coming out of those events and just seems like a lot of the alums are excited for, uh, you know, him to be at the helm and to see what that brings. And and so he's got that support and uh, that should, you know, help carry him. Uh, some of the way, but how the team performs and, and you know, taking them the rest of it this season, uh, not super high expectations, as we mentioned, but uh, for them, they definitely are taking that number nine slot as a challenge, and um, they will, you know, look to, uh, you know, starting here this week, uh, 
you know, change minds and, and, and prove otherwise. But, yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, he's, he's a great baseball mind. Uh, we mentioned MCC under uh, his leadership was pretty uh, electric and, and very successful. So if he can bring a bit of that, uh, that will be, you know, some, some big talking points in future podcasts for sure. But looking forward to that journey starting for uh, Baylor baseball and elsewhere Springs just kind of, Depends on where you look, dabbling around tennis, both programs, not coming off the best weeks. But for a lot of that stuff, you can check out my Good, Bad, Ugly. I have, like, some small summaries each week uh, over on the website, uh, Sikkim365.com. And then we've got, you know, various posts and, and commentary on, on a lot of that. But spring is rolling on. And uh, now I guess the only thing that we need to know with baseball getting underway and softball's now underway, they got off to a pretty good start uh, in the UNLV tournament, 4-1 and one in their first week. Uh, so on and so forth. A and T's underway, and all of that is. We need some football dates. Uh, we have no idea when spring football starts, although probably somewhere in the next five to six weeks, uh, the next month to six weeks is the time frame. It'll kind of have to be because um, it's usually always sometime in in March that you get underway, and then have your spring game in April. So we're closing in on that, but no idea just yet on when that'll get underway. Nor pro day. We don't have a date on pro day either. But again will have to be basically in the next month to six weeks yeah. uh, in order for it to work out with the draft. And when it comes to that, uh, looking at the football notes side of things, um, draft-wise, two combine invites. Uh, Siaki Ika, big nose tackle, and Connor Galvin, your big left tackle. Uh, on opposite sides of the line, had a lot of battles during practices and a lot of mutual respect, and and two guys who are really kind of carrying the torch for this draft class. After last year, it was a, more than a handful of guys that you had to keep your eye on. You had, like, what, six guys who were invited to the Combine. It is a much uh, thinner class this year. Those two, Eakin and Galvin, really the only two that you could put money on and feel confident that you'll hear their name called uh, at the draft later this spring. Uh, but to get combine invites, uh, no surprise for Ika. Not really a huge surprise for Galvin, although I do feel like Galvin has sort of built up some steam and built up some momentum from his all-star showing to now getting this invite. You know, we'll see what he does, obviously, at the combine in Indianapolis here in a few weeks. Uh, but I think that was important for him and a good sign of sort of where he's projected. Uh, we know with Ika, it's anywhere from like probably late first to somewhere in the second round. But he's done no workouts. Like he skipped the senior bowl. Um, I don't know what his, like, I guess status has been as far as just getting healthy or if he's dealt with some health issues. Don't really know. He's just kind of been closed camp uh, since the bowl game. And, and that was a game he didn't play in. So, really, we haven't heard from Siaki Ika since the Texas loss at the end of the regular season. Uh, so, he's been getting ready. Galvin's obviously been very active. They're both going to Indy. And for, you know, some of the others, I mean, you're looking at maybe some undrafted free agent guys, um, probably, though, some guys who will be well served by the fact that the XFL's back and by the fact that there's all these other leagues It'll remain to be seen, but really eyeing kind of a two-man draft class here for the Bears. Yeah, and I still think there's some sneaky possibility that, you know, a Ben Sims Sure, there's possibilities. Khalil but, Keith, but yeah. you're right. In general, we're pretty much focused on those two guys. And I think Con the good news for Connor Galvin getting invited to the Combine is most times when you're invited the, to the Combine, unless you just have a terrible showing, you're probably going to get drafted. Um, and so I, I think that... That's great news for him because I do think he was on the fence as far as getting that invite or not. Um, but really happy for Apu that he's you know going there and is actually going to hopefully run and compete in the combine. Even though I don't know how much that would help him, yeah. uh, to be honest. Because um, really, you just for a guy like him, you need to turn on the film and you really know what you're getting uh, with Apu. But yeah, excited for both of them. Excited to watch the combine again. Again, like you said, the draft class won't be as deep as it was a year ago. Um, but it makes sense. This was a six and seven team, not a twelve and two Big Twelve and Sugar Bowl champ team. So it kind of adds up, right? It's reflective of yeah. kind of just the whole twenty twenty two Baylor football team. I mean, yeah. In comparison to the year prior, you were already dealing with the highest of expectations because a lot of benchmarks were set, and um, you didn't really plan on probably living up to most of those. But yeah, it's just you know I, I wrote an article, and I think that you still need to drum up some excitement and support the guys who are involved, but you could mm -hmm. 
certainly sense that there's not as much buzz because there's not JT Woods and Jalen Petrie and Kalen Barnes, you know, like all these guys you want to rattle off. And there's been some big combine moments, you know, the last couple of years as well. So uh, not going to be quite to that level, much quieter this time around, but two guys who should get drafted. And yes, maybe a Ben Sims sneaks in there. Uh, or Khalil Keith, someone along those lines in, in later rounds. But congrats to uh, Ika and Galvin on getting invited to the NFL Combine, which is in Indianapolis here in the next couple of, uh, like, two to three weeks. That'll get underway. Uh, elsewhere, football-wise, another commit for the 2024 class, as we just talked about the past. Uh, now we await word on the present as far as, you know, spring ball and as far as, um, you know, what the, the dates on the calendar are going to look like as far as the off-season preparations go, so we can start to fully cover that here over the next month. Uh, but in terms of the future, uh, there's news there as well as edge rusher Brock Jackson uh, made his commitment to the Bears uh, after a junior day visit. And uh, this was part of, right, the, the big weekend they had about a week and a half ago. Um, you know, there wasn't a bunch of commits at that time, but there's been kind of a slow leak of, you know, a couple since that time period, Grayson, and we know this is not going to be the largest class in the world either, so I think it's notable, you know, how many get on board and how quickly early on, because this isn't on paper going to be like a 22-man class. Uh, this is going to be more of like, what, a 15-ish, 16, and we'll see. It usually always grows, but for right now, there's not a lot of room, so uh Here's a new addition. What, number three overall yep. for 2024? What do you like? What can you tell us about Brock Jackson? Yep, so Jaden Porter, Colton Siraki, and now Brock Jackson. That brings you to three in the 2024 class. Like you mentioned, right now, the number that's kind of being, I think, worked with is 15 or 16 uh, for this class. It will grow. It's probably going to end up at like 20, would be my guess, 19 or 20. It always does, unless Baylor decides to use a lot of room for transfers, which they might because they've had a lot of success in that regard. But as far as Brock goes, this is a guy that Baylor's been in a great position to land for a long time. You know, they offered him back in May. Uh, I put in my prediction for him back in May as well because it just seemed like everything was leaning towards Baylor. Uh, but his recruitment, you know, kind of moved a little bit. Arkansas, Missouri, Texas Tech, Colorado, Houston, all offered. So I think that caused him to wait a little bit, want to take some visits, want to look around a little bit more. Uh, but then he took his junior day visit, called Baylor the front runner in his recruitment after that. And that pretty much made it known that, okay, he's getting close, at least to deciding. I didn't necessarily know he was going to decide this early, though. Um, I thought there was a chance he might wait till after the dead period, but obviously he felt comfortable with his decision. No time to take visits during February, so might as well make a decision. Now, what's Baylor getting with Brock Jackson? So he's 6'4", right around 235, 240 um, is kind of where he's at. Some have listed him at you know six as low as 6'3", 220. I have seen him in person. I, I think he's much closer to at least 235, 240 pounds. Are people buying, like, different measuring tapes? Like, what's going on Yeah, here? I mean, it, it, a lot of it depends on where you get measured and yeah. things like that. But I, I, don't, can get, I can get the weight fluctuates, but the height you think would be pretty you would think, on board. Right? But, okay. but, I mean, I've seen guys who I'm a true 6'2". Like, you stand up against the thing barefoot. I'm over, like, a little bit over 6'2". And some of these guys that I see are just towering over me. And they're like, yeah, I'm listed at 6'2". And I'm like, there's no way. There's just no, I don't know who's measuring you, but you need new measuring tape because a lot of these guys are very, very tall. Um, but yeah, for him, I'd say right around 6'3", 6'4", 240 pounds. That's kind of where I'm at, which leads to a great question uh, because he could play defensive end. He could, um, but he is being recruited as a jack. Caleb Collins yeah. has been recruiting him very hard, um, but I think with his weight and his size already, there's a chance he could be, you know, 6'4", 280 pounds, and then you're playing defensive end. Um, so he gives them a lot of versatility there in that regard. Good pass rusher. He's got 11 sacks over the last two seasons. Uh, been very productive. 35 tackles for loss. I think he's right around 138 tackles uh, during this time as well, and eight forced fumbles during the last two seasons. So he's really been productive at Lumberton. Very good player, like I said. Very good prospect. His versatility is very intriguing. 
uh, to the fact they could play Jack or defensive end. Um, great pickup and one that I feel like Baylor really needed because he just makes a lot of sense for this class. He fits the culture at Baylor as well. And then he's also great friends with, in my eyes, uh, one of, if not the best linebacker in the state, Ty Anthony Smith out of Jasper, who's also been um, a fairly heavy lean towards Baylor, but his recruitment has blown up a ton. So that's just another thing to keep an eye on when it comes to uh, Brock Jackson potentially being a leader in this class and a guy who could go out and recruit other guys uh, to join this Baylor 2024 class. So a big pickup. Obviously, you know, there's the initial celebration, and then there's the you know, white knuckling ride, especially with guys that you know are going to probably get more and more attention along the way of uh, holding on to them. But to get the pledge first is is a big deal. So good for Dave Aranda and staff uh, to go on down there in the uh, that Beaumont Golden Triangle, Southeast Texas area, uh, Lumberton, just north of Beaumont. Uh, so dipping down there, uh, that's a you know a playground for a lot of great athletes. And, and no, I just mentioned Kalen Barnes a few minutes ago, like mm-hmm. kind of heading down in, in his area. And, and Baylor certainly struck gold down there uh, a few times. So hopefully that is the case as well with Brock Jackson. But yes, he is the latest commit, commit number three for the class of 2024. That's where we now are, believe it or not. And uh, yeah, we will see how the numbers fluctuate as far as scholarships go. But that is big question mark because you don't know what kind of attrition's in store and don't want to guesstimate too much on on how that goes because that can be very flimsy number. I uh, just don't really know how to peg that exactly. But uh, working with the probably, let's start with 15, bare minimum, and then know that it'll probably grow from there. So three in and uh, still a bit of a journey to go to fill out the rest of that class. But uh, that was big news. Uh, elsewhere in football, also what was big news uh, really conference-wide was the fact that Texas and Oklahoma have officially – Uh, found their exit path from the Big 12 this upcoming season. Uh, We know that Baylor will host Texas at the end of September, and that will be the last meeting with the Longhorns for the foreseeable future. You could always play them in the Big 12 championship game. That's a possibility. No Oklahoma on the schedule, but again, you could play them in the Big 12 championship game. You're certainly, though, going to play Texas. You're going to play them in Waco probably for the final time for a long time. Uh, and I, I would imagine that makes that a pretty hot ticket, and that'll be a wild first month of the season, as we outlined, I think, in the last couple of podcasts uh, when the schedule was released. Uh, they could be like a really super impressive top 15, 5-0, and uh, or they could be like 2-3 and three and trying to figure out, again, okay, how do they make a bowl game? How do they win four out of their last seven to to get to six wins? I mean, that's... That, that first month of the season is going to be something else, Grayson. But that's for many other conversations down the way. Let's focus on that piece of news that I mentioned, which is Oklahoma and Texas uh, getting out, making a deal with the Big 12. They're not going to have to pay the full amount. There's a lot of details as far as like how the money is going to be you know, paid, where it comes from, and all of that. But the basic gist of it is this is the answer we've been all – Uh, Big 12-related folks waiting on for quite some time. And now we all know, uh, everybody involved, that this will be the one and only year with this, um, I guess, bigger uh, Big 12. And then starting next season, 2024, uh, season after next, you will get to your new Big 12 exclusively. Oklahoma and Texas will be in the SEC. USC, UCLA will be in the Big 10. So 2024 will be the start of a new era but got to get to 2023 first. So your thoughts on the swan song for the Horns and the Sooners? Yeah, I mean, I'm happy that it's finally over, uh, that they're finally gone. There was a lot of awkward tension. I, f- I could just find a, kind of feel that it was building, right, between these programs in the Big 12. And we saw it with the schedule release. They didn't release anything about it. No excitement there um, about the upcoming season playing that schedule, which – is funny to me because we all know they absolutely care about what the results are next year. So why you wouldn't release that doesn't make any sense unless you're trying to make a statement to the yeah. Big 12. That's all they were trying to do because they promptly released all kinds of stuff when they were announced to the SEC. Um, so again, a lot of pettiness there. I think that, you know, I, even... I can't believe the Big 12 put a gun to their head made them join the SEC. Yeah, I know. And that's I'd the be funniest too, part. You know? They made the decision. <laughs> yeah, it makes no sense to me that they're acting this way. But they are. They're acting this way because they wanted to force the Big 12's hand. And the Big 12 and Brett Yormark just sat there and said, okay, well, here's how you do it. 
and we're not going to move from this. You're going to pay us the money that we're owed, and then you can leave to the SEC. And that's exactly what they did. Very happy it's done. We don't need a, this season's going to be awkward enough. We don't need another awkward season after that. They clearly didn't want to be here. The Big 12 didn't want them here. So it's time to move on. And I'm glad that's happening. Great for Oklahoma, great for Texas, great for the SEC, and great for the Big 12 getting that $100 million, which will be, uh, according to Ross Dellinger, distributed to the eight legacy schools. Um, so Baylor's one of those, which is nice. Yeah, um, they'll get a little piece of that. I think it all rounds out to like $10 million per school yeah. when all is said and done. So it's not quite the full amount that you would have liked that was like the $160 million and. And uh, that would have been nice, but that's not how this usually works. There's usually a bit of a, you know, an arrangement, and that's obviously what was going on. There was some jostling between the two. And they uh, have to pay Fox back in some way, whether it's inventory yeah. of games or money. So that's probably where the other $69 million Well, and that's going to be the Michigan-Texas game is yep. what that's going to be, which will exactly. now be in Ann Arbor. Uh, they flip the dates. So instead of it being in Austin, it'll be in uh, Ann Arbor first, and Fox gets that, and that's mm -hmm. how Fox is, is made whole. So, yeah, that's all the, the details of, of how it worked out. But in the end, all you need to know is, yeah, they uh, – they came to an agreement, so last year coming up for Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, anything else before we dive into the mailbag here? No, let's do it. We got a lot, we got a few questions, but they're good ones. All right, so starting off here, let's go to uh, Dak JD90. What are the odds we had transfers post spring for football? Do we have room? If so, what positions do you expect us to go after? I'm assuming we would be going after players that lost their position battles in the spring like USF did to get Gary Bohannon last year. Yeah, I think the odds are pretty high that they'll add at least one transfer if that's kind of the the baseline. Um, they're going to add someone else, maybe a couple other guys as uh, once the spring's over, once they kind of figure out what positions they need to address coming off of the spring and then also kind of figure out who's available and who lost a position battle, like you mentioned, um, and where can they find a prospect that could come in and help them right away. Um, so, yes, you're right on that. Uh, now, as far as, and I mean, it could also be new coach comes in and the guys who waited uh, decide they don't get along with that new coach, and then they decide to leave. It's not just about losing a position battle. But um, as far as positions go, I guess specifically, I think center is one that we've mentioned a ton. Um, Timothy Dawn is slated to be the starting center. I just think it'd be nice to give him another year or two to grow and mature and maybe bring in a veteran because it worked really well when they brought in Jacob Gall. I think someone like that could be really helpful for, for the offensive line. I think another cornerback might be an area they look at. Uh, potentially a field safety if they can find one in the portal to be you know the next JT Woods in this defense. I um, mean maybe even a defense lineman because they're kind of thin there. So that's kind of those are the positions that I'm looking at currently. I've mentioned wide receiver as well. That'll probably come down to how good Keytron Jackson and how Presley um, look in the spring. Yeah, I mean a lot will be dictated by the spring. I um, mean need to see these guys out there and see what you got and. I mean, to answer any future questions, because I think we get, and you know, Dak, I do appreciate it, but get a lot of like, what are the odds of the, like, they're going to add transfers. I mean, if, and they'll find the room if they need to find the room. But yeah, I think it's just a matter of, I mean, you went and just added 10 guys um, and then you yeah, count the, I mean, they just signed in the last two months, 30 new players. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think they have an idea of what they have, but they still need to see it out on the field and, you know, some guys are coming from high school. Some guys are coming from other colleges, and they've got varying degrees of experience at those colleges and varying levels of experience, uh, you know, with those programs. And so, um, yeah, they'll they'll unpack that all, and by the end of spring, they'll, they'll have an idea of, like, yeah, you know what, we probably need another wide receiver. Um, and last year, you know what, to be very fair, um, they, you know, whiffed on kind of their evaluation of the roster i mean to be perfectly honest in, in some areas they thought they had better than they had or thought they had adequate enough and, and clearly didn't or had expectations that weren't met and as a result you saw some of the struggles you saw last year so i'd imagine they'll be you know hawk-eyed on on this roster come spring and post spring and, and go and attack whatever deficiencies they see fit but yeah they'll, they'll be active if they need to be active and if they stay pat then i think that probably bodes pretty well for the most part, that 
they like what they have. Yeah, it's very clear based on the additions they made during the offseason that they're not just going to stand there and wait for the talent to develop on the roster. Yeah. Like if they see that there's a problem that someone's not ready to be a key contributor for this team, then they're going to have to go out and try to find someone who can be. Um, and, and that's just kind of the way things are right now is this team needs to improve drastically. I mean, they went six and seven last year. Um, that's not great. They need to get better. And there's a path to that very easily with the schedule as well, despite the fact you've got eight home games. Because it's possible, of, yeah. I mean, that, that first month, again, that's going to be a real tone setter. That's not going to be that finalized version of that team, but they're going to have to avoid like the slow ramp up of the season because if you, you slow play that start or you get off to a slow start, then like I said a few moments ago, you could be like two and three after the month of September with mm -hmm. some, you know, road trips not very much in terms of volume, but like Manhattan and Fort Worth and places you don't feel super confident in winning ball in games November. necessarily. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that uh, that early stretch will be uh, imperative. But yeah, uh, Dak, it'll be really. Uh, there's lots of interesting storylines coming out of spring, but the the roster and kind of how Randa talks about that whenever we get an opportunity to ask him some questions and we get to ask him about their double digit number of transfers and the newcomers and how they might contribute. I'm very curious to, to hear some of his initial impressions on that because it's been a while since we've heard from him, and certainly it'll be the first time talking about this version of this team because the last time we spoke, it was us thawing off in the post game at TCU following the bowl game. Mm -hmm. And so his, his thoughts were very much on that not-so-fun present, but we have not heard him talk about the future uh, at great length just yet, so looking forward to that here in the next few weeks. Thank you for the question, Dak. Papa Bear, what overall ranking should we expect for the 24-football class with 15 to 20 recruits? What about composite ranking? Yeah, I'm thinking like top 30 um, with that little, maybe even top 35, I think, is what you should expect. Um, they were right on pace to get a top 25 class, and then obviously the Novosad thing happened, and that kind of derailed their chances there. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're only going to take 15 guys, to be inside the top 30 would be a really, really good class. Um, so probably, you know, somewhere in there, top 30, top 35 is kind of my expectation. Uh, C's here, uh, Scotty B, the Baylor King on a scale of one to 10 in terms of least relieved to most relieved at the news of Texas and Oklahoma leaving the big 12 after the 2023, 2024 athletic year, 10 for me, because now we know that the conference schedule will be a one-off schedule with 14 teams during the 23, 24 athletic year. And we just kind of touched on this a moment ago. Uh, but on a scale of 1 to 10, least relieved to most relieved, where are you, Grayson? Yeah, 10, because it was annoying and awkward and just needed to be changed. And it was something your, Brett Yormark said needed to be addressed. He needed to figure out the Texas and Oklahoma issue. That was one of his three big things. And so now he's got that done, and he's got the media deal done. So he's got two of the three, and his third one is more expansion. And so that's kind of the step that he's on now. Which I didn't bring up because I just, I mean, we could get into the, the yeah. endless speculation on poaching the pack or what that could look like. We start talking trash about the Pac-12 TV deal <laughs> or lack thereof, and we could get down that whole rabbit hole. We'll save that, though, for the afternoon show. But, yeah, I mean, they're eyeing expansion, and to what degree that's, you know, heading west. Uh, I mean, that's pretty safe bet is they're going to head west or look west because he's made that clear. But, I mean, at least to some extent. What teams yeah. are that? You know, are they talking about involved there? Is it the Arizona schools? Is it another combination? Is it somebody Gonzaga. we're not thinking of? Yeah, like is it Gonzaga in basketball? Uh, all that remains to be seen, but does make it more difficult if you have two years of this weirdness with Oklahoma and Texas. So on a relief scale, I'm probably a 10. And obviously, you know, I think, um, you know, Oklahoma and Texas would say that they're a 10 as well to have the the clarity that they do. So I think it was a win-win for, for pretty much everybody when all was said and done. Uh, thank you, Scotty. Master Pierce, MPH, this sport often gets overlooked, but how big is it to get a crack at number one Oklahoma softball here at the Getterman Classic this weekend? Do you have any overall thoughts on our results and potential so far this season? I mean, I, I don't think it's a good thing, <laughs> personally. I mean, and it's not to be, you know, super pessimistic, but the fact of the matter is Oklahoma has dominated the softball sport, and they're really, really good again. I think they're the unanimous number one team in the nation right now. They're undefeated. I just, you know, it, it's not great when you got to play them four times in a season or at least four times in a season. So, I mean, I guess it's big that they get a chance to beat them at home. But, I, you know, I would be shocked if they beat 
Oklahoma this weekend. Now, as far as overall thoughts, they were picked fourth in the Big 12. I think that's about right. I think they're a good team. I think they're a, a potential tournament team. I think they should make the tournament this year. Um, but as far as playing Oklahoma this week, I, I mean, I don't know if that's a big thing for this program. Yeah, I mean, it's a big opportunity, um, but I don't know if it's going to result in a big win because Oklahoma is an absolute juggernaut. But, yeah, I mean, as far as a non-conference early season game, you know, that's not going to have too much of an effect other than if you win yeah. um, or just get embarrassingly blown out, which I don't expect. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good measuring stick game, and it's a good, like I said, opportunity. If you can somehow find a way to, to pull out a win, that would be massive uh, and unexpected. But... Um, that's that's a great opponent that should hopefully draw a really great crowd at Getterman. That's kind of the first thing I think of. But yeah, yeah nice start for them out in Las Vegas, four and one, fell in the championship game, unfortunately. But uh, still, four and one's a, a nice way to get things kicked off, especially on the road. Yeah, and they got votes this week um, to be in the top twenty-five. They're just on the outside looking in, and their loss was to n the number four team in the country now, mm -hmm. Arkansas. So. Um, yeah, they're playing good softball, and that's what you want to see. You want to see them playing well, um, no matter what the result is against Oklahoma. Most teams aren't going to beat Oklahoma this year, so for them to get a, I guess for them to get a crack at them in a tournament situation where they might be pitching, you know, their third or fourth pitcher, that might be, you know, a positive way to spend this. All right, so final question here, Alpha Needle. Um, I, let's let's go backwards here. Given this is Coach Mitch's first year as baseball coach, what are realistic expectations for the baseball team this year? I, again, I, I think realistic is if they can get to thirty wins and go ten and fourteen in the Big Twelve. I you know, expectations is such a strong word, but I, I think you know my expectations is that the program looks like a program that is trending towards having a good future. And I don't think you can put a record on that. I think it's probably more so about them playing competitive baseball throughout the entire season, just not rolling over and getting blown out, especially late in the year if things aren't trending in a great direction. I think that's the bigger thing for me more than just a record prediction. Yeah, I mean, I think that sounds respectable and, and fair enough. Uh, yeah, I mean, to be kind of... 500-ish uh, in yeah. the Big 12, I think, as a first season would, would not be that bad, especially given that you were picked ninth. But, yeah, no grand expectations, just competitive uh, play with a bit of fire. You know, just the basics, really, that everybody wants to see out of their their programs. Just, like, look like you're having fun out there, right? That, that, that kind of thing. Just look like you're improving on a week-to-week -week basis, and I have no doubts that they will with Mitch Thompson. I do think that they're probably being – um, you know, a little slighted uh, just based on where he's coming from. And I, I don't know, uh, nothing like super disrespectful, but I, I could see them finishing better than ninth. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the challenge, and that's what they'll, they'll hold on to and, and keep as a chip on their shoulder. I think the roster overhaul is another big reason why yeah. they picked because you just don't know what to expect oh, sure. from transfers. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, a ton of movement, and um, that's obviously just college sports in general these days, but especially with a new coach, you're going to have a lot of turnover and especially in a sport like baseball with its scholarships and all that, uh, yeah, it's going to be a, a far different-looking team this year, and just in how many different ways uh, that'll be part of the fun. So final question here, um, Alpha Needle, how would you rank the recruiting classes in football from 2017 to 2023? Not what 247 or Rivals ranks, but your view, rank them 1 through 7 with 1 being the highest uh, Grayson, I'll leave this to you. Yeah. I have not gone and looked so, back over every recruiting class since 2017, so uh, have at it here. So I want to do this more of like compiling it together as just because it's really unfair to say, oh, the 2023 class compared to 2017 when they had, you know, Jalen Petrie and guys who we've already seen their career play out, that it's just kind of tough to compare them. So I'm going to go off of, I'm going to add a little bit of that, but also just add in just kind of my thoughts on the overall prospects when they were recruited in those classes. Um, so I think 2023 and 2022 are actually the two best classes during this run. I think they're very good, very deep. I think a lot of those guys will be really good players for Baylor in the future. It's just tough to say it right now, right? Because we haven't seen all that much production from those two classes up to this point. Then I have 2017. Great talent. You got the all-time Baylor sack leader in that group with James Lynch. You got Ebner and Abram Smith, uh, Terrell Bernard. Like, that was a great class. One of those classes that really built Baylor uh, to win a Big 12 championship. And since we've seen their career play, play out, it's hard to not put that at one. But I'm not going to because there's also some 
guys in that class who just straight up did not play at Baylor um, and did not make it. So 2021 is fourth, 2018 is fifth, 2019 is sixth, and then 2020 is actually my lowest rated class. Um, a lot of guys in those four classes that just did not play at Baylor, a lot of guys who, um, you know, transferred out, you know, got injured, um, just a kind of a rough stretch in there. And each one has a position or two they really addressed, but also each one has a position or two where they just completely flopped. And I think that's what makes a great class is if you can be balanced. And so I think those top three are a little bit separated from those bottom four. All right, so uh, hopefully that answers your question, Alpha Needle. I just didn't go and uh, – well, first of all, I didn't see your question until like three minutes ago, so I haven't rolled through the the comparisons of the classes yeah. and all that. So that's so why I left it to Grayson, and hopefully that was uh, an adequate answer for you. Um, but, yeah, interesting to kind of look back over the last, what, seven or so years and, and uh, you know, obviously a couple of different head coaches in that time frame, and it feels like many different <laughs> – seasons and and uh, storylines and all sorts of stuff with with those recruiting classes but um yeah fun to look back from time to time so uh, like i said hopefully that uh, satisfied your question and we do appreciate you being a regular um member of the podcast each and every week uh grayson anything before we sign off here yeah i got a quick question in the chat that i want to address he just asked how do you see baylor using the backfield by committee who gets the most carries i think we've talked about this in the past so i just wanted to quickly address it i think we're both on the same page that richard reese is going to be the lead back with dom richardson being kind of that second bell cow mixon running back and I think in this specific team, you're probably going to see a third guy emerge, whether it's Quaylen again or maybe a Bryson Washington or Jordan Jenkins or a guy like that. But I think those top two, I feel pretty good about being the top two running backs on this team. Yeah, uh, I mean, you brought in Dominic Richardson to play some yeah. significant, some significant stat, snaps. And last year, yeah, Richard Reese was kind of a one-man show once Tay McWilliams got hurt early. And Quaylen Jones was just sort of sparingly used a lot as a blocker. Squirrel got Sometimes hurt. as a pass catcher. But, yeah, Squirrel Williams gets hurt, and he was – very much in and out on any given week. We really never knew what game he was suiting up for and which games he was out for. I mean, it was kind of just a, a crapshoot. So, yeah, I couldn't rely on him as much as you'd like to. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was basically just the true freshman out there doing the majority of the work. And as we saw by the end of the year, uh, that had taken its toll. So I think they'll go be, they're going to be uh, much deeper and much smarter as well with kind of how they divvy out the carry. So, yeah, I'd expect Dominic Richardson will have a huge role along with Richard Reese, Quaylen Jones being back helps. And then, yeah, eventually see which one of these young guys is going to start taking some snaps as well. Uh, Jenkins and Washington, you mentioned there. Uh, but, you know. Uh, Quaylen's still there, too. We mentioned him. Who? He's Quaylen. He's yeah, still no, there. Very much there. Guy, yeah, so. he's very much going to be involved. So, yeah, to what extent the young guys are able to carve out some carries um, besides the early season stuff that you typically expect, they're not even going to have that opportunity so much. They'll have a couple games to, to maybe have some of the, like the Long Island game, you'd expect, you know, second and third team guys to get as many meaningful snaps as they could. But beyond that, um, yeah, it's, it's Utah, Texas in that first month. So we will see. But, uh, yeah, that's Dominic Richardson and Richard Reese. And then a sprinkling of, of others is pretty much going to be uh, what I would expect. So thank you for that question as well. All right, uh, that'll wrap it up here for us here on the BearCast. Thanks to Jack McKenzie. Thanks to Grayson Grunhafer. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to those of you passing along questions as well. And we will be back next Tuesday uh, at noon. But also check out, if you haven't already, hitting the thumbs up and subscribe to the 365 channel, the Baylor channel, and also 365 Sports. We'll be back at 365 Sports at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Talk to you then. It's been the BearCast on Sikkim365.com.